Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. This is the very special Monday pickups edition. Week 9's games... Whew, that was something. That was a show. Uh, they were, there were some games. They happened, uh, and and we're going to try to make sense of it all. Uh, not not my favorite NFL Sunday, I suppose. Uh, nothing. I, I can't even. I can't even come up with anything that immediately stood out to me. I am Andy Barons, of course, here to guide you through uh, this week's waiver wire, and of course, as always, I'm joined by the legend Scott Pianowski. Scott, how are you? Uh, how much did you enjoy that uh, theater of pain? On Sunday. Yeah, theater of pain. Shout out to Motley Crue. Uh, I have been eliminated <laughs> in my elimination pool. I was toying with the idea of playing Miami. I'm sure I would have backed off it once too. I got scratched, but I thought, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to make the safe play of Dallas. And you know, Dallas never wow. basically never got to the stadium. Uh, obviously, Buffalo loses. I didn't have Buffalo available to me. I don't know if I would have used them against Jacksonville anyway. But uh, it was a day where underdogs ruled where a bunch of star players did almost nothing. Um, you know, I, even cases where I started fantasy defenses that scored negative points, where it's like taking the zero would have been preferable to what I actually put in the lineup. I told people to bench George Kittle. It was a hell of a week in the Pianowski. <laughs> yeah, tough, tough week for the uh, people who who like to uh, fade the, the, the pitch count guys, right? Um, Christian McCaffrey played... A ton. Uh, George Kittle obviously played a ton, had a good week. I feel like that just often happens in the NFL, right? Like it's it's one thing to say that you want to have a guy on a snap count or a pitch count and then you really get into the fire and like it's a competitive game and coaches are going to sort of deliberately lose track of that stuff, right? Right. It's the famous Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> Yep. And you know, Carolina, you know, to really attack the Patriots defense correctly, you have to do it with receiving through your backs. And of course, you know, the Carolina receivers all might be on vacation with Sam Darnold playing the way he is. But Carolina wasn't able to use McCaffrey in that way until late in the game. And, you know, the Niners were chasing. You know, the thing that frustrates me with Kittle, and I told, I gave out some bad advice. Like, I gave out some good advice. I gave out some bad advice. The Kittle advice I gave out was all wrong. And I, I know I'm talking to an Iowa grad here, so you're probably going to hit me after the whistle. But, I don't mind Kittle coming back and playing well. He's one of my favorite players. He's, he's a Pro Bowl guy. I mean, he's, he's set records before. He just had his best fantasy game in a year. You know, did he have to come back and go over 100 and score a touchdown? George <laughs> Kittle famously is like five touchdowns a season. I know that's more of a comment on his quarterbacks. And 
I still think we need a discussion about Kyle Shanahan. You know, the Niners have lost eight straight home games. That's really difficult to do. I guess I guess they can't get to that stadium either with the traffic problems. But, uh, you know, did George Kittle, if he came back and, and had 60 in a touchdown or had 82 yards or whatever, whatever, fine. He had his best game in a year, you know, so I felt especially bitten by that. But you're right. For all the talk, this is why you have to be so – you almost have to ignore all this. Oh, this guy's going to play this many snaps and the team wants to do this and they want to run this formation. That's all nice and good. And then the game happens and then yes. the coach defaults to, okay, what what do we do to win the game? What what gives us the best chance? And forget playing it safe. The Niners had a desperate game they needed in division against Arizona. Great chance to potentially beat them with Kyler Murray out. So George Kittle's going to be on the field the whole day. And Carolina, again, stumbling. They don't, you know, Chuba Hubbard has kind of revealed himself as a total ham and egger. The offense is nothing else going on. Okay, yeah, Christian McCaffrey, you're getting 20 touches. Just gonna that's the way it's gonna be. The game is going on. We are in a desperate situation. We need to do what works best for us, even if the player isn't 100. percent Yeah, and that's not just like two isolated teams. I feel like it was much the same way with the Giants and Saquon Barkley, right? Like um, there was a there was quite a narrative about how it was going to take a really long time for him to get up to you know 70, 80 percent of the snaps, and and that sure didn't take long. Like he was he was playing almost every snap, if not immediately, pretty pretty soon after. Uh, so it just happens all the time. Absolutely. In the case of Kittle, of course, the tight end position is so thin that you probably didn't have. Yeah. Again, I, I did give up some bad Kittle advice, so I want to own that, but you probably didn't have a great option anyway. You know, if you drafted Kittle, you certainly didn't draft tight end reinforcements probably. I mean, you probably thought I was going to play Kittle, you know, four months a year. One thing I've learned uh, over time, and this actually, this happened almost immediately as soon as Kittle broke out, was that, you know, because I was like the early hype man on George Kittle, which had, uh, hey, that wasn't just me like finding some gem. Obviously, that's an Iowa attachment as well. But because I was like an early George Kittle hype man, Every time he has a dud performance, I hear from people like they reach out to me. People people make sure to let me know that George Kittle disappointed them on a Thursday or a Sunday or a Monday. So it's always it's always nice to have a weekend in which George Kittle plays and I don't hear a bunch of complaints from. Oh, that's uh, a humble brag. Masses. You're just you're just humble bragging <laughs> that you're you're early to the Iowa grad. Um, I'll, I'll probably say that Michael Salfino and I were banging the table for Kittle in his breakout year when some people were like, oh, his snap share wasn't that high. It's like, well, every time he's on the field, he's making explosive plays. But man, um, just give me a word on Kyle Shanahan. I mean, what this guy? If you take oh out- oh don't don't worry about this. We'll get into Kyle Shanahan. Okay, when we get into the quarterbacks. Okay. I, I, have, uh, I was tempted that- to. I was tempted. We have to give a drop every week. I was tempted to drop Kyle Shanahan. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> if you're able to. Maybe by dropping the Niners defense, another one of my poor defense choices in Week Nine. Maybe by dropping the defense, dropping the defense, you'll buy proxy drop Shanahan. I, we were uh, we were talking, I think, a couple of weeks ago about a league that I used to play in, in which we actually drafted a head coach. And I think sure. I think you've played in one or two as well. And I I believe the first time I played in that format, it was March Broda. I think that's who I had. You had Rich Kotite. I know you did. <laughs> I had Wayne Fonts at one point. I'm pretty sure I had March Broda. Um, yeah, yeah. I had it, you know, and you try to, you know, you try to stream head coaches sometimes the same way that you would tr- stream defenses or kickers. That'd be a great family feud question. Like, name a mediocre coach with a sub 500 record. You know, and you buzz <laughs> in, you know, Bruce Coslett, Rich Kotite, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Rod Ross. All right. Well, let's dive in. Uh, let's Anybody dive into some of this week's. <laughs> Let's dive into some of this week's recommended pickups. Uh, but but before we actually get into this week's crop, let's uh, let's talk about that Titans backfield. Let's uh, let's linger there for a moment, because there's a lot of discussion about that, obviously, after the Derrick Henry injury. And this is one of those situations, man, it's it kind of reminds me of the Ravens uh, after the injuries to both Edwards and Dobbins. Right. Where like 
before we could even talk about them as pickups, they were all 70% rostered and the the Titans are kind of there now, right? Like everybody just raced out and got McNichols. They got Peterson. Uh, Deontay Foreman might be out there in a handful of leagues, but just what did you see from the, from the Sunday night game? These three guys, the, the three primaries for the Titans, a, a great win for the Titans, by the way, a lot of it to do with their defense. These three guys combined for 74 rushing yards, which, which I think we can fairly say is probably, I don't know, 70% of what Derrick Henry might've done. Maybe it's 60% of what Derrick Henry might've done. It wasn't great. I don't know that any of them look like stars. Peterson got the touchdown. I believe, I don't have red zone stats in front of me, but I believe they all had opportunities near the goal line. McNichols, obviously the guy that was running the most pass routes. He had already been the guy that was getting, you know, if in so much as the Titans actually have a receiver that they throw to out of the backfield, he'd already been that guy. So a little uptick in usage for him. What did you see? Who are you most interested in here? The thing, the sneaky thing with McNichols is his role isn't changed much because they trust him on third down. They don't want to overexpose him. They don't see him as an every snap player. They trust him in the hurry up package. They trust him to block. So he's going to be, and we look, we know Adrian Peterson had a catch on Sunday night, but that's famously never been a part of his game. Foreman only had the one route run. So I think Nichols, because they, they have a very specific role that he already fills. I don't think they want to change that much. My main takeaway, and there weren't a lot of carries to go around, one thing that always kind of screws up the flow of an offense is when they score on defense and you don't get the ball for a while. So there are a lot of teams actually that won yesterday that were able to throw a very low number of passes because they got ahead in part because of their defense. The Browns were like that, right? Baker Mayfield didn't throw that many passes. Daniel Jones was basically unplugged in the second quarter. The Giants said, okay, you're not losing this game. We we can get away with a 20 pass Daniel Jones game. The Titans don't feel like they have to hide Ryan Tannehill at all, but he only threw a very low amount of passes yesterday. They were in control of a, of the game against the Rams. I, I thought Foreman looked at least as good as Peterson did, maybe even a little bit better. Not that I'm banging the table for Donta Foreman here, but here's the thing. He's 11 years younger. Peterson's in his mid-30s, which for, in running <laughs> yeah. back years is like he's like 57. Yeah. I mean, you, know, I, I, you, you can change your number, Adrian Peterson. We still know it's you. It does it look strange to see him running number eight, but – um super weird yeah yeah absolutely i still th- i still think the titans and chargers should have gotten together and filled filled out a Mar- uh, melvin gordon trade card i don't know why that didn't make sense for all parties involved but broncos broncos uh, right yeah yeah well, whoever melvin gordon's playing for is he still in wisconsin <laughs> um you know he should have should have uh you know applied for early in statement to the nfl um left the badgers who cannot win the absolutely Big Ten now it would in fact it would have solved two problems right it would have solved the javante williams problem because i'm i'm sick of seeing everybody who's got javante on their roster complaining all like uh, throughout game days right and it would have solved the melvin problem because melvin's still Melvin's too good to be shelved like Melvin is not he's like 28 or 29 years old you know he's not done at this point um and he's been fine he's been he's been good like that's another thing I got wrong I thought Williams was going to shove Gordon out of the way and Gordon's played well that's been about a a draw I'd say um maybe Williams was a little bit better this week but if you look at the stats for the season they're pretty similar Gordon has done nothing to lose his real estate in that backfield so my takeaways were I thought Peterson look he's you know, he's just off the street, right? He's just off the couch. I, I thought he looked slow. I thought he looked every bit the age that he is, mid-30s. Foreman being 11 years younger, I don't know why he couldn't have been whatever Peterson's going to give them. Now, granted, there's probably a world where they can use all three backs. If you don't have a great running back, you might as well just go with some really overflowing committee. It's kind of what the Ravens are doing right now. There's no great answer there. So they run they run everybody but, but Tyson Williams, who I, I guess, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh would break out in the hives if he ever gave the ball to Williams or you know, Greg Roman, whoever's calling the plays there. But 
I think we're going to see three-headed backfield, and nobody is going to run away with this. Just because they lost Derrick Henry doesn't mean they have to anoint a bell cow somewhere. There's no bell cow here. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in leagues where every running back scrap is going to get picked up, will I make a couple dollar offer on form? And, of course, I will because I have some leagues where I'm very desperate in the backfield. We're still navigating by weeks. There's a bunch of running backs who are hurt. My main takeaway is that I think whatever you put out for Peterson last week, I think you're going to probably regret it by the end of the season. I know we got a touchdown, but no receiving role. I don't think there's anywhere near the rushing carry upside and volume upside that maybe people thought a week ago. And if I helped shape anybody's bid in a way that got out of hand, I apologize for that. I don't feel like I was banging the table for Peterson either. But the thing with running backs is there's just people get so desperate at the position and you lost Henry, you might have felt like, well, I got to get somebody in there. You know, Peter, yep. it's like you're on the desert and somebody hands you like you know, a sip of water. It looks really good to you, you know, even if there's a bunch of sand in it. You know, I think this is a case of Adrian Peterson is the glass of water with a bunch of sand in it. I feel like we're probably in the same place on the Titans backfield. I largely feel the same way. Um, I was trying to talk myself into Foreman and then on what I think might have been his longest carry of the night. It was eight or nine yards, something like that. He actually he kind of self-tackled. He just fell. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that he was tripped up, but uh, it sure looked like a just a, a he, he was upset about it. Uh, just a little bit of a face plant. I don't, like I wasn't thrilled by any of these guys. I think McNichols is fine. Um, but as you say, I, I think he's largely going to occupy the role that he had um, with with perhaps a handful of additional snaps. You know, he'll rotate in on some early downs. I feel like this might be a pretty good moment to to flip Adrian Peterson coming off a game with a touchdown. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure he gets better from here. Uh, the broadcast team was pointing out instances where, you know, he's obviously been away from the game for a few months, you know, doesn't get low near the goal line, like things that you would just assume that Adrian Peterson is going to be good at no matter his age. I don't think this is a terrible time to to sell him because there's, as you say, there's there's surely plenty of running back needy teams in your league. I agree. I don't think there's much of it. I don't think there's any ceiling here at all. He's just going to be a boring grab. I mean, he might be like Ty Johnson of the Jets. He might, That's the type of player we might be getting here where it's like, yeah. okay, every week you can squint and see 8 to 12 touches and maybe like a quarter chance, 25, 30% chance of a touchdown. And I, and I get it. In some deeper formats or through bye weeks, you're going to play a player like, player like that. You know, we don't – very few people are blessed with obvious answers at running back. That's why when we do start yep. sit, you're getting a bunch of running back questions because people are scrambling there. But – I think Peterson's ceiling is extremely even lower than the ceiling you're working with back there. Well, speaking of low, ce- speaking of low ceiling players, boy, have I got some names for you in the uh, in the pickups for week ten. Uh, we'll start at uh, at running back here with uh, just a handful of injuries. Nothing, nothing too distressing, I think, on the injury front this week. Chase Edmonds is probably the most significant of them. Picked up a high ankle sprain super early in that game, which led to the the huge eruption from James Conner. High ankle sprain is probably going to keep him out for multiple weeks. Uh, as of this moment, you and I are speaking on a on an early Monday afternoon. Uh, sure looks like a, a short stint on the IR is is possible for Edmonds. Uh, Daryl Henderson picked up an ankle issue. Uh, it seems to me like he's probably going to be fine. He was announced with the ankle issue and then almost immediately returned to the game. So I'm not I'm not too panicky there. Uh, Zach Moss, Damian Harris, and Ramondre Stevenson all potentially concussed, uh, all head injuries. Those are worries. The ads that I wrote about, and I'm not proud. I'm, I'm not proud of this group. I'll just, I'll just start there. The two names that I featured most prominently have been featured before. Uh, Devontae Freeman, uh, again, nice workload. Um, he's part of that plan in the, in the Baltimore backfield. I don't have a bunch of glowing things to say about him. 
except that he's been as efficient as any other Ravens running back who actually plays. He's got Miami coming up on Thursday night. That's obviously a great matchup. If you're chasing Eagles running backs in the absence of Miles Sanders, Jordan, it was Jordan Howard's week this week uh, after Boston Scott had the game a week ago. Uh, I, I don't have extensive thoughts about Jordan Howard. He kind of is who we thought he was. Uh, he gets Denver up next. Alex Collins is still hanging out there at, uh, I think 43 or 44% rostered right now. There's no, there's no guarantee that Chris Carson comes back this week or even the following week. So we'll have to, we'll have to see how that plays out. Collins would have Green Bay next. And then there's, there's probably a conversation that we need to have about the Patriots backfield because even, you know, let's just say Damian Harris is fine and Ramondre Stevenson is also fine and and they're not, you know, they're able to go next week against Cleveland. Stevenson had a pretty significant role, actually, you know, not that it meant a whole lot within the context of this last week, but led the team in both rushing and receiving. He was, of course, a, just a preseason legend this year. He was like Mr. Miss Tackle in the, in the preseason. And then if neither one of them can go, I suppose Brandon Bolden is the guy that we need to care about. Uh, other guys that I at least listed in the column were, you know, Benjamin, who presumably would pick up some scraps from Chase Edmonds, uh, Sony Michelle, if there's anything at all wrong with Daryl Henderson, Jeff Wilson. Uh, made it back to the sideline, didn't actually make it into the game for the Niners. Um, but Jeff Wilson is somebody that we know they like. And then the last name that I mentioned was uh, Jarrett Patterson, rookie who uh, got a ton of carries before Washington's bye week. And we know that Antonio Gibson has been dealing with that uh, with that stress reaction. Uh, so I don't know. Help us make sense of the running back pool this week. Yeah, the, the first two names you mentioned are the guys who percolate to the top of my interest. Not that there's not a home run here. We're trying to hit a single, yep. maybe a double. But Devonta Freeman has been the best Ravens running back on an offense that's good, on an offense that both benefits, the backfield both benefits and loses value from Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson is going to tote the ball a lot. He's got a lot of the goal line equity is going to go through Lamar Jackson. And you know, even though he had a very slow start, he was excellent the rest of the way. He's, he's played so well when trailing by big, they've had some great comebacks Baltimore this year. It's been all about Lamar Jackson. But, you know, here, here's my big moment for Freeman, right? He's better than Le'Veon Bell. And that's the thing in Baltimore. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that Le'Veon Bell, by the way, wears number 17 because he's reminding way to, you way that to plant he, your flag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Le'Veon Bell wears number 17, right? And I, and I, I figured this out. He's reminding us that he was last great in 2017. He's wearing his last <laughs> season of relevance on his, now, now that they've really loosened up their running back, the, uh, the uniform rules in the NFL, you can make a statement so many different ways. And Bell's like, yeah, Bell 17, man. I'm back to the 2017 form. No, you're, no, you're not. Uh, Devonta Freeman actually grades out pretty well on PFF, if that matters to you. And I, I know we have to take PFF grades with a grain of salt. They said Sam Darnold was the best quarterback in week eight. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Hmm. But Freeman goes to the top of my list. Here's the thing with Jordan Howard. For two, I don't know, six weeks, seven weeks, five weeks, whatever it was, the Eagles couldn't wait to junk the running game. At 115, all running plays would go in the trash. And then Miles Sanders get hurt. And Jalen Hurts was struggling some. And, and then Nick Sirianni said, you know what? Let's just run the ball like we're Oklahoma 1975. You know, like we're not allowed to throw the ball. Like we're the first version of electronic quarterback where you literally couldn't throw a pass. <laughs> it was all running plays. So Jordan Howard is getting double-digit touches. And they don't think that game. I know Gamewell had a touchdown, but Kenneth Gamewell's hardly playing. So this has become kind of a tidy backfield of Boston Scott. And Jordan Howard, the Denver defense is feeling pretty good about itself after shutting out Dallas for about 55 minutes. Man, did they dominate that game. But Howard, I can already tell myself he's going to get double-digit carries again. He's going to get goal line equity. And 
that makes you worth starting. You know, Brandon Bolden, you're probably going to have to add medium and deeper leagues, but you just don't know the status of the New England backfield. And we know Belichick. Yeah. Belichick doesn't want to admit there's a game on Sunday, let alone tell you what his usage patterns are going to be. So it, it's, you could end up starting Bolden in a league. He'd get three touches. You know, he could be special teams player. He never gets on the field on offense, or he could be in a situation where if the thing with Bolden is I would feel okay starting him if just one player was removed from the mix. If Harris can't go, if Stevenson can't go. Yeah, I agree. You reduce it from a three to a two. And, and of course, that just means maybe J.J. Taylor will be active on game day. And who, who the heck knows? Taylor had a two-touchdown game in the blowout win against the Jets. But I think Bolden Do you, do you think sense. that this last week brought us to a point where when Stevenson is healthy, he's just going to be active and we don't have to worry about that anymore? Because that's been a headache all year. I think so. Yeah, I think he might have been. But he had, did he have a fumble the week before? He did something wrong the week before he got scratched. I don't know if it was a block miss or a fumble or ran the wrong route or I don't know. You know, put tomatoes on Belichick's sandwich. I don't know what he did. We did something <laughs> wrong. The interesting the interesting thing about Jeff Wilson. Yeah, he he dresses. He doesn't play. But Trey Sermon didn't even dress. Trey Sermon, yeah. you know, the, the player they moved up for, right? The player they wanted, the player they were pounding the table. It, it not a great. You got a great draft for the Niners, right? I mean, they, they pounded the table for Trey Lance, and it looks like it's a redshirt year for him. What do I get it? I mean, he's so young, he hardly played last year. So I guess that's to be expected. But given that Mac Jones has been pretty good, and it seemed like the Niners may have wanted Mac Jones at one point, certainly early returns are looking bad on that decision. And then they, you know, Sermon, they spend pretty high draft capital on him, and he's not even playing on game day. So the best thing I can say about Jeff Wilson is at least he was in uniform. So he's ahead of Sermon on the depth chart. And I think that means eventually at some point, eight to 12 carries are coming and maybe some goal line chances. I mean, I think Eli Mitchell's a good back, but the Niners don't view him as like a, somebody they're going to run into the ground. So I, you probably need to wait and see a game from Jeff Wilson before you have any confidence in playing him. But there's they got Kittle back. They do want to be a power running team. They don't want to throw the ball 40 times a game, even though they had to throw the ball yeah. falling behind against Arizona. Jeff Wilson's going to have fantasy value in the near future, I think. I also feel like it's not, you know, we, we shouldn't be particularly upset that Jeff Wilson didn't play any snaps because this is this is like ahead of even the earliest part of the timeline I, I, I was aware of for him returning. Like, I, I don't think that was really on the radar until like late November. And for him to make it back when he did, that seemed like a pretty good sign to me. And again, we like we know that when Jeff Wilson does fall into a bunch of carries, um, he can really pop like he can be a thing. He was he was terrific last year whenever he received opportunities. So I do like Wilson uh, and I, I fully agree with your comments on like I didn't even write up Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon had like double digit touches, had a touchdown. He's been fine. But to my eye, I, I think Freeman is a little livelier and Freeman has been has been the guy that they've leaned on when they get themselves into into two minute offense as well. I'm not proud of this, but I'll be putting money on Foreman above some of these other guys above. Patterson above Benjamin, probably above Sony Michelle, yeah. unless something came. I know Henderson was dinged up briefly in that game, but Henderson's such a good. But the Rams just route their offense through their main people that it's it's hard for me to play any any secondary option there. But there'll be a couple of Foreman offers made by me. Donta Foreman, I'm, I'm not excited about that. It's just a, I'm just trying to grab some scraps and maybe he can move his way ahead of Peterson at some point. Let's actually let's pause on Lamar Jackson a little bit because you you mentioned him. You wrote about him on Sunday night. That was great. 
And it was just it, it was kind of an interesting week, I thought, for the MVP race generally. Right. Because not that not that, but by the time we're voting on not that you and I are voting, but by the time people are voting on MVP, they ain't looking back to week nine. So may, maybe I'm maybe I'm, you know, placing uh, I, I'm sh- in fact, I'm certain that if I'm framing it this way, I'm placing too much stock in week nine. Nobody's going to look back on week nine and say, aha, that's when the MVP was settled because um, there's just a ton of football to be played between now and, and the time anybody votes for awards. But. Obviously, a disappointing game for Dak, disappointing game for Josh Allen, disappointing uh, game for Matthew Stafford. Certainly, I, Kyler Murray didn't hurt his MVP chances, but his team won a game in which he didn't play. So I, I think everybody that was on top or at least involved in the MVP discussion uh, didn't necessarily have a big week except for Lamar Jackson, who had another sort of, you know, uh, uh, you, you can hardly believe it's happening. Um, well, it was the Vikings, so you could definitely believe it was happening. But, you know, a, a, a sort of stirring comeback win. He's just been super exciting. And I feel like he's got there are a couple of, of you know, narratives that are going to that are going to go in his favor. One is that he's got a really good chance to finish with with something close to 5000 passing yards and 1000 rushing yards, which is just a ridiculous season that I didn't think we would ever see. And then number two, like, you know, they lose Dobbins and Edwards when they did. They basically had to, you know, he's it. Like, I don't I don't know that there's another team that is as reliant on a single player as the Ravens are on Lamar Jackson moment to moment and series to series. He also hasn't played, you know, it's not it's not always like a teaching tape when he's necessarily a quarterback. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make it seem like he's like he's just absolute vintage Aaron Rodgers back there, but um his best moments are terrific. You know, it's just been a it's been a really fun season. He's been an incredibly fun watch on a on a day full of really messy sloppy games. Um that was a fun one. So, I don't know, give us your thoughts on the MVP race and Lamar generally. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why it's fun to track this stuff now is with the way the world has made it available that we can bet these markets, right? We can go on to bet MGM or whoever you have available to you, and, and there's an MVP set of odds, which changes. It's always fluctuating. It's a stock market. And before this week, Jackson was in like the 25 to 1 crowd. I mean, he was far removed from Josh Allen and Dak Prescott and Kyler and whoever was there, Tom Brady. And so Jackson has a perfect game this week where he goes off, wins in signature fashion, while everybody else either didn't play because of a bye week, because of an injury, because of whatever's going on in Aaron Rodgers' world, you know, Joe Rogan, um, all that stuff. <laughs> and the guys who play, you know, they, they lose in inglorious, fa- you know, somehow Buffalo loses to Jacksonville. Somehow Dallas looked like they'd never met before for two and a half hours. So, I don't. I don't know the. I haven't looked at the fresh odds, and maybe I'll talk about this uh, the next day, uh, the next pod with Frank Schwab when we do some of this handicapping and investing stuff. But I got to figure Jackson's odds move way up. This is a he. The the time to get the lowest odds, you, the, the best odds, the juiciest odds you're ever going to get on Jackson were probably before this week. And you mentioned, look, it, fantasy MVP is going to be always a narrative. It's going to be. Your team has to be successful. You, you can't win the MVP going eight and nine or nine and eight. That's not going to yeah. happen. We know you can't play receiver. I mean, Jerry Rice never won MVP or any other receiver for that matter. Randy Moss didn't win it. Uh, it's very hard. Usually, when a running back has an outstanding season, they give him Offensive Player of the Year. Occasionally, they'll, they'll win an MVP, but usually they don't get. The, it's a quarterback award. And it's a quarterback from a successful team award, and it helps, as you mentioned, for Jackson to have portable stats. If he can throw a five thousand and one thousand season a historical season that nobody's done before. And yes, it's an extra game, but still on a team 
that's suffered injuries, that has a defense that hasn't been great, that maybe ends up being the AFC's number one or number two seed. That would be a very sellable story. You know, um, one of the best things Kyler had going for him is when the Arizona was undefeated, right? If they were the number yeah. one seed, people want to say, well, why is Arizona great? It must be because of Kyler Murray. Like, like a lot of people now are saying, you know, Mike Vrabel's got to be, I haven't looked at the odds recently, but he's got to be the coach of the year favorite because as much as people like Ryan Tannehill and the Titans defense starting to play well, they think, well, how are they beating all these good teams? Mike Vrabel's going to be some kind of magician. Really hard to evaluate coaching, by the way. We're not in the locker room, but I do like Vrabel from what I've seen and what's what's filtered out. Bottom line, Jackson, the time to get Jackson, I wish I was in on this. The time to get in on Jackson was when he was percolating at 25 to 1. I got to figure he's like 10 to 1 or 8 to 1 or 12 to 1 today that his odds really came down because he had a perfect game. He went, he had a signature moment, an overtime game. And man, you want to win a game like that, play the schedule the Minnesota Vikings. They've had <laughs> they've had a seven point lead, Andy, in every game this season. At one at one it's point wild. this year, our, our poor uh, former colleague Brandon Velasquez, one of the several, I don't think there's a self loathing fan base like the Minnesota Vikings. I, I think they yeah. actually wrote the book that they they turn on themselves and turn on their team and turn on their coach like the moment the game starts. They're just like, okay, you're going to rip off. I think when, when they were ahead 14 points or 11 points, whatever it was in that game, it was like, okay, we're going to blow this. I know we're going to blow it. They they really are the one fan base where you just never see sunshiny optimism from them, no matter the game situation. Like they could be up three scores on a Sunday. Velasquez will never give you a you know victory lap sort of tweet. Yeah, or you know when Diggs had the great touchdown, the the glorious touchdown in the playoffs against another tortured fan base. By the way, the Saints have yeah. found a million ways to lose. They've been like the Greg Norman of the NFL, where they lose on trick shots. Everybody makes their crazy, <laughs> their crazy trick shot against the Saints. But I'm sure the Viking fan base was like, okay, when we lose next week, it's just going to make it all the more painful. We lose in the NFC Championship game, which they did. But um, anyway, Jackson signature moment on a day where everything fell right. So. What does it mean? Are we voting today? No. Does the market adjust? Yes. And, and I'm sure his odds have collapsed significantly because everything went that way in week nine. It, it was a Sunday where it was a very frustrating fantasy week because your best players weren't your best players, right? You need you, yeah. got, you need CeeDee Lamb to get 80 in a touch. You need you need um, Carolina receiver Moore to show up, you know, I, DJ Moore. I, you know, you, you need you just lost Derrick Henry, you know, none of the Buccaneers were playing. I mean, it was it was a tough fantasy week. But if you had Lamar Jackson, you probably won your game and you have 21 rushing attempts. I mean, what quarterback gets 21 rushing attempts? Wild. Wow. Uh, they Absolutely ran like almost wild. 90 snaps. The other thing, too, is Minnesota's defense was just gassed at the end of the game. It's amazing. They got a stop in overtime when Baltimore won the coin toss. I thought, OK, they're going to go right, right down the field to score. <laughs> they didn't. Of course, Minnesota gave the ball back in three plays, which was very nice of Kirk Cousins to do. But. You know, I'll tell you what, If I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. If Jackson is still catching double digits, I'm going to put some of my own money on this week. I'm going to have to check that. And maybe Frank and I will discuss it tomorrow. But I think he's a great value if he's still not the favorite. If he's like the third, fourth, fifth choice, I think it's time to get in on Jackson. Yeah, I I have some, some Jackson tickets. I last checked his odds on Sunday night. And at the time, he was, I think he was still plus 1,400. Oh, which, wow. Um, yeah, so he wasn't. Bye, bye, bye. You know, it's not it's not like he was, you know, one of the three or four favorites yet. So he's there's still perhaps a little bit of uh, profit to be made there. Anyway, you know, I don't um, I don't see what's so special about Josh Allen. What 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 has he done this year? Buffalo's five and three. Now, I get it. Nobody thought they were going to lose to Jacksonville, but nobody thought they were going to lose Pittsburgh. You know, their only good win is the win at Kansas City, a, a win that gets a little bit cheaper and a little bit cheaper as time goes, goes by. But by the way, we didn't even it's. It's gotten so bad for Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to pile on him. 
that him having a poor game isn't even we, we mentioned like every other quarterback in the league in the MVP hunt. We didn't yeah, even have to right. mention pa- Patrick right. Mahomes. It's not even a story anymore. He's not a factor because Tyreek Hill is being covered well. And Travis Kelsey all of a sudden looks like a very old 32. McCole Hardman, man, I, every time they th- run a play to him, has any McCole Hardman play ever worked? I, I don't remember oh. any of them. That's a There's, hard We've watch. talked about this before. There's a moment in every game where McCole Hardman is clearly not in the spot that that Patrick Mahomes expects him to be in. And that's either like... A, a ball that arrives at a place where McCole Hardman is like five yards away or 10 yards away, or uh, obviously yesterday I'll put the ball on the ground. There's always a McCole Hardman moment. It's a it's super frustrating player. By the way, Lamar plus 1100 on bet MGM right at this moment. I will still, I will still sign off on that. Yeah. yeah. And then with Hardman, you hear, then Tony Romo or Trey Aikman goes, well, you know, Patrick thought it was going to be a much sharper route. And he kind of runs, it kind of lays you at the top. See, he kind of rounds off the route. That's got to be a sharp break. He's going to be over where that hash mark is. And that's where Mahomes thought the ball was going to go. And it's frustrating. It's fr- and, and you do you need to do a lot to earn Troy Aikman's criticism, although he's getting a little bit sharper. I, I think Aikman's actually never been better. Um, he is. He's got a little edge to him. He's got a little edge. I think he's sick of sloppy play. It used to be that he made excuses for everything. Yeah. I mean, the joke I made last year, was that uh, that Jared Goff threw an interception that was so bad that even Troy Aikman criticized it. But um, <laughs> I think Troy's really coming into his own. I think he's having a career announcing year uh, at, I don't know, what is he, 10, 12, 14 years into this dance. But I've, I've actually really, and I've never been a Joe Buck guy, but I think Buck and Aikman have actually become an enjoyable watch. And it helps that they always get the best games, like Nance and Romo get the best CBS game. But I've started to enjoy that team when a few years ago I would have told you a different story. Yeah, the Aikman breakout is like the Cordero Patterson breakout, right? It's the ninth, tenth year, finally, finally right. coming into their great own. comp. And you know, Andy, <laughs> we have to say in a week nine where everything was a mess, at least we can hang our hat, we can set our watch by one thing: Cordell Patterson never misses. <laughs> it doesn't matter misses. how many snaps he plays. It doesn't matter, you know, Ugh. what else is going on. It doesn't matter if it's a Pitts game, if it's not a Pitts game. Is Ridley playing? Is Ridley not playing? Did Mike Davis get five carries or 12 carries? Did Matt Ryan sneak in a touchdown? None of that matters. Cordell Patterson is too big to fail. He is – it's gotten <laughs> to the point now. I never thought we'd see this. It, it went, it's gotten to the point where nobody even asked me Cordero Patterson questions anymore. Right, Because everybody right. knows oh, he's so too right. good to sit. He's too good to you're sit. Totally he's totally right. graduated. You're absolutely right. He's the waiver out of the year. I can't even think of anybody else that's necessarily even in his, uh, even in the conversation with him right now. Yeah, and you're 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 also right about the fact that it doesn't even matter how often he's on the field. Like he had all those games where he was only getting out there for like thirty percent of the snaps. It never mattered. So if you're in a league that's redrafting, if you don't get the one hundred one pick and you get the Cooper Cup cheat code, then you take Cordell Patterson, Cordero Patterson at one hundred two. <laughs> Call it a day. You've solved running back and receiver all at once. You can play him anywhere you want. He'll probably have tight end kick place kicker and quarterback eligibility by December. I, I love that guy. I wish I had him on more than a couple of teams. Yeah, let's let's stick with the one position where Patterson is not actually eligible, and we'll we'll talk some quarterbacks here uh, on the wire. Fun. First of all, the the injuries that we're concerned with right now. Obviously, Kyler Murray missed a game with an ankle injury. Um, Tua Tagovailoa was a like morning of not inactive, but not starting for Miami because he has a fractured finger. That was uh, startling, and and I think a number of people in the matchup with Houston had him in had him in DFS lineups, perhaps. Uh, beyond that, not uh, it wasn't necessarily carnage at quarterback, uh, unless you count whatever that was with Sam Darnold. Uh, the ads that I wrote about uh, were Teddy Bridgewater because he's got Philadelphia coming up. And we've talked about Teddy on, on if not every show, almost every show, because he's had a bunch of favorable matchups. He's got Philly coming up this time. Philly in um, 
oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna whiff on the beat writer who had this stat last night. Maybe it was Jeff McLean. Philly in five of their last seven games has allowed a completion percentage of over 80% to opposing quarterbacks. I mean, they're just like a gift that keeps on giving. Um, ben Roethlisberger, we, you and I are recording before the Monday night game, and, and we assume that Ben Roethlisberger emerges from that just fine. He's got Detroit coming up. That's obviously a friendly matchup. He is not a friendly player. But the guy I really want to talk about here is is Trey Lance. And this is where we can have our Shanahan conversation, right? If not now, when, I guess, is my question on Trey Lance. I, I look at the back half of his schedule. I look at, you know, they've got the Rams coming up. And obviously that's bad. And that's probably that's probably a bad spot to throw Lance into. Um, the Rams coming off a loss. It's a, it's a fierce defensive front and all that. If we look past that to week 11, this is what he faces rest of season, at least for the fantasy season. He would get Jacksonville, Minnesota, Seattle, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Tennessee, and Houston. And there's really not a there's certainly not a stay away matchup there. Uh, obviously, Tennessee has been much better than we expected them to be. But, you know, are we are we scared of the Jaguars defense? Are we scared of the Vikings? Seattle? No, we're not scared of any of that. So it's it's as friendly a slate as he can possibly get. I think he's in that situation where like the second Rams game is in week 18. So there's no there's no fantasy implications there. Right. That's always nice. Are we going to see Trey Lance? Because this is this is a little bit mind blowing to me. Um, the, the team is three and five. The The division is gone. There's there's no hope of winning a division. There's barely any hope of making the playoffs. They are certainly not on a Super Bowl trajectory. Right. So what are we waiting for? I don't share the same optimism for Lance that you do for a couple different reasons. For one thing, I know the Niners have three wins, so that that's a problem. But right now, the four and four Falcons would be the NFC's number seven seed. The NFC is very top heavy, but there's going to be a mediocre team that sneaks into the playoffs, this expanded playoffs. And, and sure, they're going to probably get whoever that team is probably get waxed in the first round. But I think San Francisco is they're too involved in this playoff thing. They they still think they belong in the playoffs that they're going to play who they think gives them the best chance to win because Lance is so young, because he played so little last year, because he's been so ineffective when asked to play this year. And here's the thing with Garoppolo. And, and look, I'm far from a Jimmy Garoppolo apologist. I, I've A couple of years ago, I was calling him the most overrated player in football. He's thrown for over 300 yards two straight weeks. He averaged 11 or so yards a, a attempt at Chicago. He averaged over eight yards per attempt yesterday, Sunday, week nine. Yes, he took a handful of sacks in the Arizona game. There are also other reasons why they didn't score. They, they had a fumble by Ayuk. They missed a couple of field goals. They littered the field with with yards and points. They should have scored a lot more than the 17. The game should have been more competitive than it was. They just got Kittle back. They finally gotten some, even though Ayuk did fumble, they finally started to get some production on him. Debo Samuel's been terrific all year. I don't think they view Garoppolo as the problem here. And I think they might just think it's just a wipeout year for Lance, that they're not going to go to him and develop and evaluate him until the season is completely written off. And when they're only like a game or a game and a half out of the playoff hunt, I don't think they're going to view it that way. So I don't think, I think Lance is too much of a, there's too much developing left to go in this photo. I think he may play eventually at the end of the year when they're out of the playoff hunt, maybe a December thing. I, I don't think he plays this month at all. And I'm, I'm not going to wait on him in any, even super flex leagues. I'm not going to wait on him. Well, my optimism on Lance is that when he did get a start, he ran the ball 16 times, right? Yep. Like, like that. I don't think, yeah, I mean, that just that just almost never happens. And I think you and I talked about it at the time. The, the list of players who've, who've done that more than once is like Bobby Douglas and Lamar Jackson. And I don't know if it's anybody else, maybe Jalen Hurts. I don't know. It's not a lot of guys. We just don't see quarterbacks running the ball 15, 16 times. It is not a thing that happens. Um, 
And I, I, I mean, I just find it surprising that you would trade, what was it, three firsts, a third, use the number three overall pick on a guy that you're just going to totally redshirt. Um, it, it surprises me. It is not what normally happens to quarterbacks who get taken that high. You're probably right. Garoppolo almost certainly gives them a, a somewhat better chance to win in any moment. You've just got to wait the development of Trey Lance. And I, I am definitely someone who thinks that playing in actual regular season games with, you know, against defenses that are game planning to you and with, you know, varsity caliber receivers, I like, I think that has a lot of value. I think that I, I think I would be at the point in San Francisco. And of course, Shanahan can't think this way. He's got to think about winning this week's game all the time. Um, but I would certainly be at the point where I, I would think that the uh, the development of Trey Lance should not be put on hold so that we could chase, you know, the the backing into the to the postseason. Again, I don't expect a coach to think that way ever. You make a plausible case. But of course, we need do the 49ers see it that way. I do agree. I think that there's some something to be said for maybe not throwing Trey Lance into the fire week one, week two, week three. Let him get his feel around the facility, what it's like to be a pro, try to get the speed of the game, whatever. Whatever there's been gained from him, them, them soft introducing him, soft, soft revealing him, I think that's that's gone now. I think at this point, if you're going to develop yeah. him, just let's find a moment and make the handoff. I just think they're going to cling to that hope of the number seven seed, and they're going to say, you know what? Garoppolo did make explosive plays the last couple of weeks. We got Kittle back. We got him over 100 yards. Debo's been terrific. Ayuk's finally starting to be the player they thought. I think they're going to talk themselves into that the passing game really isn't the problem. We just get to fine-tune a couple of things. We're finally getting the backfield healthy and, and the version of the backfield that we want to the point that Wilson didn't even play. So I, I have a feeling they're going to talk themselves into this really isn't broken. We, we looked really good two weeks ago. We shot ourselves in the foot against Arizona. I mean, missed a great opportunity, right? You and Collar wasn't playing. Hopkins wasn't playing. Edmonds got hurt right yeah. away. You just get dumped-trucked by James Conner. Congratulations. Um, man, I never thought I'd say this, Andy. James Conner's going to be a league winner, man. I mean, this guy, because Kyler is dinged up enough that he's no longer the automatic goal back. It's been Conner for a long time. He's the automatic guy. And now Edmonds with an yeah. ankle injury, he's going to be out for a while. I am very envious of the people who have a, a good stake in James Conner. Let me say, we, you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater earlier. Philadelphia, just they, they will not deter you from anything you want to do in your passing game. And talk about a team... <laughs> Really good pieces here, right? I mean, Sutton didn't do anything this week, but he's a good player. Judy has come yeah. back, score another one for a seamless injury comeback. He's looked just about as good as he did in week one, I thought. Right, right. Right. We, we like Tim Patrick. We we talk about Tim Patrick just about every week here. I'm not sure if he's on the receiver list or I haven't looked, I haven't peeked ahead yet. Naturally, but, he's on the receiver list. Of course, yes, he's I mean, on the it's receiver a Tim Patrick. I mean, the room has been named after him, right? You know, the Tim Patrick <laughs> receiver green room. They have two backs who are good. Gordon still catches the ball. Williams catches the ball sometimes. Uh, Teddy, Teddy will never blow up your league for you. He'll he'll never get on my back. I'm taking you home. But if you're happy with like 270 and two, yeah, he's ready to do that again. I just absolutely don't understand Denver. I thought I thought Cleveland ended them right. Like I thought that was I I, I thought the line versus line matchup of Cleveland's offensive line against Denver's defensive line, seeing them get pushed around like that. I thought that just basically finished off the Broncos and then they flip Von Miller. And I'm like, okay, we're, that's one less team that I have to think about. And and then to come back with just absolute annihilation of the Cowboys of, of a one loss team, like a good team, a team that is getting discussed as a, you know, deep playoff run squad that um, didn't see it coming. Can't say I saw it coming. Uh, super impressive. Joy of the NFL, right? They couldn't stop Dearness Johnson yeah. a couple of weeks ago, who who timed like a seven, you know, seven minute, you know, forty yard dash. It felt like when he was at the combine. 
And then they go into Dallas and, and Dak Prescott plays like, he, I, I don't know if Dak was still dinged up, but everything, the Dallas line didn't play well. That, that was a common thread with a lot of these offenses that struggled. The Buffalo line was terrible at Jacksonville and they've given up on running the ball. It seems like they they couldn't throw vertically is all horse. I mean, how, how many little bubble screens can you throw to Cole Beasley? You know, um, oh. really he's their running back. He's basically the running game in Buffalo. It's not fun to watch, but uh, that's the thing with the NFL is that there isn't, the NFL is not transitive, you know, just because a team, a destroyed team B and team B destroyed team C does not necessarily right. do anything predictive for when teams A and C play. And we see that every week for all the Hosannas we're throwing at the Titans deservedly. So they've, they've run off four great wins in a row. Remember they lost at the jets. You know, somehow <laughs> the jets beat them, you know, and that's, we have to try to figure that out. You know, somehow the last time we saw the Ravens, it was the Bengals saying, aha, we, we run this division now. And we said all these nice things yeah. about the Bengals. And since then, the Bengals have done nothing right. And the Ravens come back and you know, they get a good win. And now it's like they run that division again. That's just football. It's such a snow globe league. Every every week, just shake it up and watch the snow fall. And it's it's a little bit disconcerting because I, I, I think um, Charles and, and Frank were talking about this on their podcast. Is there any team you can set your watch by? Is there a team... Right. That you say every week, you know they're going to play well because we thought maybe that was the Rams or the Cowboys or the Bills. They all played poorly. The last time we saw the Buccaneers, they played awful at New Orleans, lost to Trey Simeon. Trevor Simeon? Simeon of New Orleans. I, it doesn't deserve a first name. Doesn't even deserve Trevor, to be listed. Trev, Trevor. Trev to his friends. Let's go with sure. Trevor. Yeah, Trevor to his friends. Um, speaking of which, do you think um, – is there a quarterback change coming there? Because New Orleans didn't play well. Uh, now, Sean Payton did not blame it on Simeon. He also didn't commit to him uh, in uh, in in comments on uh, I believe on on Monday morning. So I, maybe um, I like to think that at some point we're going to get quarterback change there because I keep mentioning Taysom Hill in the quarterback pickups as well. But I can never give you like a full and it's going to happen this week. And right. here's what we you like about this matchup. It. But we uh, obviously we saw last year over four games that when that when Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback and he's taking all those snaps, it's it's good for fantasy. It's not it's not necessarily a gift to his receivers, but it's not like we've been depending on New Orleans receivers this year anyway. So who cares? Right. Like, oh, you're going to screw up the fantasy value of Marquez Callaway. You're going to screw up Deontay Harris. Fine. OK. Taysom Hill would be really fun. He would be somebody who would almost always uh, work his way into the top 12 at the position, I would think. You'd have to, it gets to the point, if you're doing fearless forecasts for quarterbacks, you'd have to give Taysom Hill a touchdown every week, a rushing touchdown, yeah. which yeah. is gigantic. You'd have to give him, you know, 40 to 65 rushing yards with the potential to maybe get 80 or 100. I mean, with Konami code, Rich Rebar, right? I mean, it's unfair. Yep. It's just algebra. It's just the way the game is scored that the running quarterback is so advantageous. So you, all the stuff you talked about with Trey Lance, I will apply that optimism to... to <laughs> To Taysom Hill. He's my Trey Lance. Yep, totally fair. Let's hit the uh let's hit some pass catchers before we get out of here. Uh we'll start with the wide receivers. Um, you guys know the injuries. DeAndre Hopkins was the biggest one. He was out with a hamstring, um, barely played the week before with the same injury. The ads that uh the ads that I discussed in the column were Rashad Bateman again, who's almost becoming the new Tim Patrick. I'm just gonna mention him all the time because he gets like six to eight targets a week and he makes a Makes a fun play in at least every game uh, since he has actually made it back to the field. Uh, Elijah Moore had a huge game on Thursday night. Thursday night now feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, 
but Elijah Moore with a couple of touchdowns, including a touchdown that wasn't in garbage time. One of the one of the you know few moments of that game that wasn't in garbage time. Elijah Moore had a touchdown from both Josh Johnson and White. Um, that was kind of fun to see. He's good. He was a just a great separator at the at the college level, and uh, he's now drawing at least half dozen targets a game. So that's been fun. Donovan Peoples Jones uh, hit on another on another deep ball. He obviously is somebody who is stepping into additional targets and additional snaps with uh, Odell Beckham out of the picture. It's still very few targets, so I don't know what to do with that, right? This is like, I know a bunch of people added him after he caught the Hail Mary and had another touchdown, but it was like, he's just going to have a whole bunch of games with like two and three targets. And that that is not the sort of receiver that I generally chase. He's also got New England coming up, and that's a pretty frisky defense. Van Jefferson is still out there in a million leagues, and Van Jefferson like never comes off the field now. He's You look at the, you look at the snap counts for that guy, he's playing like 90% of the snaps. There's not a whole lot to differentiate him from Robert Woods at this point, I think. Um, I, I think Van Jefferson is somebody it's, who it's it's kind of crazy that he, he remains eligible for this. I feel like he should be 60, 65, 70 percent rostered. He's been really good. Uh, we can talk about Tim Patrick again because he had the big touchdown. Uh, he's got he's got Philly coming up. I don't get why people don't like Tim Patrick, but that's a just a recurring theme here. Maybe the Atlanta receivers could get interesting. I listed Russell Gage in the uh, in the column. Uh, they're facing Dallas this week, and and we assume no Calvin Ridley. Uh, I did mention Deontay Harris, although my heart wasn't in it. And we should probably mention Marquez Valdez Scantling returned for Green Bay, caught a couple of balls, which is. I don't know what the Jordan Love to Aaron Rodgers conversion rate would be, but catching two balls in that game is like catching five balls in a normal game. Another thing we found out in week nine, I mean, could Jordan Love be any less ready for his close-up? Yikes. I mean, yeah. He looked like he, he looked like back when, remember Denver had to play the non-quarterback last year against New Orleans? <laughs> Kendall That's what Jordan Love sure. looked like. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're a tight end, but um, can you play quarterback? You played quarterback in high school, right? Can you play quarterback for us? Yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. That was not a fun game to watch. I, I try to rewatch as many games as I can. Um, it's at the point I don't even want to rewatch the Chiefs anymore, let alone the Packers without Aaron right. Rodgers. So interesting when you mentioned Russell Gage, you didn't mention um, Alamedi Zacchaeus, who had the two touchdown game for Atlanta. I, I don't know that you chased that, but um, I, I think if anything, Zacchaeus's presence deletes Gage for me. I still think that offense is all about Patterson and about Pitts. And I'm, I'm not, yeah, Zacchaeus I'm not, was another one of those, like it was, it was two touchdowns mm-hmm. on like two or three targets. And sure. those guys just don't generally make my cut. Yeah. And you know, Atlanta just, you can't trust them week in and week out. I know they played really well at New Orleans and they'll probably go to Dallas and lose by 30. Uh, <laughs> echo everything you said with Jefferson. They run the same formation, right? They, they run the same personnel. They run the same grouping. And now he's a hundred percent guy. He's a third receiver on a team with look, Matthew Stafford's good. He just showed you his worst side in a week. It happens. I still believe in him. I still believe in McVeigh, and and I believe in Van Jefferson. He was in my Bolts prediction last week. I said he'd go for a hundred a touchdown. He did not go for a hundred or a touchdown. But that that game is coming. I play him with confidence. Rashad Bateman. What I like about Bateman is if you didn't know who he was, if you just knew they had a receiver named Bateman, but you had no idea what he looked like, no idea what his uniform number was, he announces his presence. He makes you know big. Big boy plays. You know, it, when Baltimore jump-started their offense, it was Bateman getting downfield and drawing a big pass interference flag. Yeah. You know, um, nod to Torrey Smith, the um, the prince of pass interference flags. Um, he also played for Baltimore, was a great Maryland receiver. He's a problem. He is physical. He can run all over the field. He can run all sorts of different routes. And 
you never know how quickly a rookie's going to be comfortable in the NFL, but he's comfortable and Jackson trusts him and, and Jackson will give him a chance to win 50-50 balls. I've been very impressed with Bateman. I was not proactive keeping him, drafting him, adding him, and I feel like that was a mistake. So Jefferson and Bateman are the guys I can I can give you a full endorsement on. We know who Tim Patrick is. We know you don't want to add him, listener. You've just been ignoring him all year. But <laughs> Philadelphia will not get in your way. Teddy's going to throw for 270 and two. And you know, one of those will probably be the Tim Patrick. He's a perfectly adequate fill-in. Um, you, know, you, you know, one thing I'll say about Teddy and Tim Patrick, yeah. but this is mostly about Teddy, since the, the big splash play is on my mind. I think it was like a 44-yard touchdown. Um, wonderful play with Diggs like right on his hip. You, you know, Teddy's average intended air yards per target is very near the top of the league. Like he's not having the the Teddy Bridgewater season that you think of generally, right? Like it's not all five yards downfield. He's averaging like 8.7 yards per pass attempt so far, which is like right there with Josh Allen and and the big guys. That's a great point. It's a great point. We think of him as being conservative to a fault. No, it hasn't often resulted in points and they've yeah, been yeah. at times a frustrating offense stuck in like 14, 17, 20 points in a lot of weeks until this week, but there's talent here and getting Judy back. It's a big ad. He's been back a couple of weeks now. I don't know when fans can be back another Iowa tight end. You have to mention all the Iowa tight ends have to be mentioned. TJ, <laughs> TJ Hawkinson on bye week another Iowa tight end. Did you play tight end at Iowa, Andy, in, in your rules? Uh, in your rules, sure. Punter, punter and tight end. Yep. Yeah, because you had that like 49, like Chris Cooley number. I wasn't sure what to make of you. <laughs> uh, you know. I'll also tell you that Andy and producer John subjected me to like a 50-minute diatribe slash lecture on um, on running, on marathoning and and all this before the <laughs> podcast started. Um, you know, I, I was trying to unsubscribe from it, but it, I just couldn't get away from it. Um, we had a footwear conversation. We had an injury conversation. It was yeah. It was we good. they we don't talk that much bases. running at Nike and New Balance for crying out loud. But uh, I'll say this about Donovan Peoples Jones: like the player, don't like the situation. Yeah. Cleveland has told you all season they want to do two things: one, throw the ball as infrequently as possible, but two, throw the ball to as many people as possible. Okay, so and, and I don't mean Peoples Jones. We call him Peeps Jones. They want to throw 22 <laughs> passes a week and they want to throw it to nine or 10 different guys. That's what yes. they do. Yes. So Peoples Jones is going to splash uh, sometimes on a four or five target game. It's really hard to thread that needle. And let me throw one other thing out since we're talking Cleveland passing game. There are probably some leagues where the person who owned or rostered, I should say, Odell Beckham did not have the luxury of holding him, which, whatever. He's been cut in some leagues. He's not 100% rostered. I'm not interested. I don't care where he goes. I don't care if he goes to Seattle. I don't care if he goes to Oakland. I don't care if he goes to the greatest show on turf, 1999 Rams with with Kurt Warner and Mike Martz. I don't care. I'm out on Beckham. I'm not adding him. I'm not waiting for him. I'm not hoping for him. He's 29 going on 35 as far as I'm concerned. It's been so long since he's been relevant. He has to go to a new team, new terminology. He's not going to go to any team that's going to make him an anointed number one. I mean, if he goes to Seattle, he's behind two absolute star receivers. I'm not interested. If, you might see Beckham out there and you might think, oh, okay, I got to get this guy. He's, o- he's Odell Beckham. You know, everybody's great until they're not. I, I think the cheese has gone bad with Beckham. And I'm not going to, you know, again, this is a specialty thing because a lot of leagues, he's just not available. But I'm not going, if Beckham's been dropped in my league, I'm going to walk out of the way and hope somebody else ruins a lot of their fab on him. He, he also very clearly thinks that he should be still, you know, still at this stage in Big his career problems. getting nine to 12 targets a game. And if you expect that just like off the street in the middle of the season, new team, new playbook, new quarterback, new everything, 
that's just not going to happen anywhere. And then a bunch of the teams that he's been linked to, you know, say he goes to the Saints. Well, they only want to throw the ball 22 times a game. Are you going to be super? I don't know. Maybe you're excited if he goes to Miami because everybody's hurt except for Jalen Waddell. Um, but that that's going to take time. Everything's going to take time. Um, and it's the one thing that you don't have in the middle of the fantasy season. Totally agree. Let's uh, let's hit some tight ends uh, before we get out of here. And it's the usual suspects, basically, except except there's one that I want to mention who doesn't quite make the cut for the column because he is rostered in just over 50 percent of Yahoo leagues. And that's uh, Logan Thomas coming off of a bye week should. Be, I don't know if he's going to be good to go in week 10, but it can't be that much longer. Like we're at the the sort of end of the injury timeline. So I would expect Thomas to be good to go fairly soon. He was a guy that we were thinking of as a as, you know, top six, top eight fantasy tight end coming into the year. And he hadn't really hadn't really done anything to to uh, dim our confidence a whole lot. Like he's a good player who I think should be should be rostered almost everywhere when he's healthy. The The rest of the guys here, I'm, I'm going to throw out Pat Fryermuth because he's got Detroit coming up. Don't yet know as we as we speak at this moment what he does on Monday night. But that's a guy who coming into the Monday nighter has uh, seven targets in back to back games and good luck finding a seven target tight end on the waiver wire outside of these next two guys tyler conklin still out there in a bunch of leagues getting a bunch of targets in dan arnold of course getting a bunch of targets he's got the colts coming up yeah the last two guys you mentioned um conklin and arnold i like so much as you're getting a single right i mean we still haven't seen a touchdown from arnold and conklin is always going to be behind the big three um cook jefferson and thielen you know thielen's got all that goal line equity jefferson's a big play guy delvin cook dominates the ball too so you, you're looking, you start those guys and you're hoping for anywhere from like 35 to 55 yards. If you, if you break into like Arnold just had 68 and 60 the last two weeks with no touchdown, that's actually good. That probably gets him into the top 10 at tight end in a PPR league. Yep. So you, again, you, you're not, there's not another George, there's no Iowa tight end breakout here, right? You're, you're, you're <laughs> not, this isn't going to be the year of the Mark Andrews breakout, the George Kittle breakout, or last year, right? We saw a Tunyon, uh, pour one out for Bob Tunyon. You know, he was the the touchdown we 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 had some you know for a second we thought maybe Mo it looked Alley like Cox, it was going to be Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox was probably going to be the Tunyon, and then I don't know when Knox is coming back. I mean, maybe that's what's wrong with Buffalo. They need Dawson Knox back. But so I, I'm with it with those two guys um, with Conklin and with Arnold. You can get a single out of that. I totally agree with Thomas. He's somebody you should be proactively stashing because he could you could break into the top five, top six of the position. And there just aren't yes. that many tight ends yeah. who can do that. And remember that offense, right? It's been a lost year for Gibson. They've had really a lot. They haven't really established any wide receiver other than McLaurin, of course, is wonderful. But um, it's, it's been other guys have been hurt. Other guys have been ineffective. They're looking for a second option in this downfield passing game. There's no reason why that can't be Thomas. He could easily lead the team in rushing receptions. I'm sorry, receiving receptions from the time he comes back. Um, touchdown receptions, I'm not speaking very well. But yeah, you please have don't let Thomas be floating around your waiver wire. He's a great proactive pickup. And uh, you, you never know what to say about the guys playing Monday night. But, you know, the last time we saw Fryer move, great touchdown catch yep. at Cleveland. We like the Detroit matchup. Uh, he he would be at the top of the list. And then I would prefer – I would slightly prefer Arnold because I think he has more target equity than Conklin. Uh, so Thomas is the clear preference, of course, if he's available to you. And then I would go Fryer move next with the Monday unknown to the side. And then I prefer Arnold slightly over Conklin. Okay, before we wrap this thing up, give me the guy you're dropping this week. Anyway, I hate to ding a guy who who may have been, I think it was concussed in the Jacksonville game, but Zach Moss has just been running in seaweed for several weeks. 
eventually they're going to get knocks back, takes away some goal line equity. We always expect the rushing touchdowns to kind of go through Josh Allen. Anyway, the offensive line had a very poor game. I mean, they get dominated. They absolutely got dominated by a Jacksonville defense that had stopped almost nobody for the first two months. If you can't, if Zach Moss couldn't do it for you in a day where they were 15 point favorites, the schedule is going to get tougher. There's still two New England games to come. And I know the jets are coming this week. They'll be a heavy favorite in that game, but I don't have any level of trust that Zach Moss is ever going to get a lot of volume. And I think maybe the touchdown equity I thought was there with him is, is overrated. He's 88% roster right now in Yahoo. I, I think some leagues you're going to have to hold him, but he should be like a 30, 40% player. He should be somebody who's low enough rostered that we talk about him occasionally on this show. He should not be 80, 88% rostered. I think it's time to correct that number. Yeah, I think actually a lot of that had to do with, um, and I'm not sure where his roster percentage was a couple weeks ago, but I, I feel like it had a lot to do with the Jacksonville matchup. Sure. And we, we, you know, the, talk about the common mistakes that we make in fantasy. Like even uh, me, you, veteran fantasy managers, we do it all the time. We talk ourselves into a game script that we think is coming, you know, and and we decide we know who's going to be the beneficiary of that. I, you know, I'm thinking a couple of weeks ago with like Samaj P. Ryan against the Jets, that didn't happen. Zach Moss this week was going to blow up in the second half of a game that the Bills were going to be leading by three scores against the Jets. And none of it happened. Like, we're so often wrong when we try to project game flow and the specific individual player, usually a running back, who's going to benefit from that. Like, we just blow it all the time. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I think I boosted Zach Moss in in my running back ranks this week as well, um, thinking, hey, it's the Jags. I can imagine this perfect scenario where uh, it's just the Zach Moss show for the final quarter and a half and stuff like that just never comes to fruition. Yeah, you know, I, I'd certainly rank Moss too high for sure. And I may have even given some advice for people to play Moss. I just hope it was over somebody else who didn't do anything, if that's satisfying <laughs> at all. Maybe the rule of thumb is if you wouldn't play the player in a average ordinary game script, yeah. And maybe don't talk yourself into him because you see it as a favorable. Especially, you know, with a team like Buffalo where the ball can go different ways. We, we don't know. Even if they have a rushing touchdown, Singletary could score it. Allen could score it. You know, they, they throw bubble screens around the goal line. They, they get different receivers involved. You know, what, um, Gabe Davis had a touchdown two weeks ago. You know, there's been a couple of big Beasley games. Obviously, Diggs is a mouth to feed. Sanders has had a big season. There's a lot of competition for the ball in Buffalo. It's not like they have a tidy usage tree. So if you wouldn't play... If you wouldn't play Moss against New England, if you wouldn't play Moss against Tennessee, or you wouldn't play Moss against you know, one of a team of Baltimore, a team of similar relative strength to Buffalo, then maybe don't talk yourself into him because they're playing the Jets, they're playing the Jaguars, they're playing the Texans, whoever it may be. It's just great advice. It's just absolutely great advice. If uh, if the only reason you're starting a guy is because of projected game flow, just just maybe don't do it. I love it. Um, the guy the guy that I listed as a drop this week, and and you're you're free to argue about this, um, noted uh, Patriots fan that you are. But I'm I'm kind of at a point where I don't get it with Jacoby Myers. I see the targets, and the targets are fine. I'm looking at the game log right now. Uh, you have to go back to. October 3rd, that was week four, uh, to find a game in which he had more than 60 receiving yards. Hasn't had more than five catches. The The yardage totals are 56, 44, 44, 36, 8. It's not really getting any better. I'm not going to dog him for the touchdown thing because I think the touchdown thing is just kind of fluky. And he's all of a sudden, he's the king of the two-point conversion. 
I can find these numbers in a lot of places, and I feel like I would rather take a shot on, you know, I'm just thinking back to the guys that we talked about as waiver ads this week. I feel better about Bateman than I feel about Myers. I can talk myself into Tim Patrick over Myers. I can, hmm, I don't think I can get there with Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I can certainly get there with Van Jefferson over Jacoby Myers. There's a bunch of guys that are available in a ton of leagues that I can talk myself into over Jacoby Myers. For sure. If you're going to be this deficient in the touchdown column. And it's kind of fun, right? This is a player who has two career passing touchdowns and has multiple, <laughs> multiple right, career right. two point. You know, see, he can be involved in scoring plays. They're just never him, you know, actually getting over the stripe for a six point play. You know, what they should do before every snap is tell Jacoby Myers, okay, you're the featured guy in this two point conversion. You know, maybe that will get him going. But if you're going to be this low in touchdown equity, the Patriots want to run the ball. They want to win on defense. And when they get near the goal line, the person who's scoring touchdowns left and right is Hunter Henry, not on a lot of volume, but he scored a touchdown yeah. in five out of six weeks. He's their designated around the goal line guy. It's not Myers. I could live with that, but he hasn't even gone over 50 yards since the Houston game. Think about how long ago that was. So he's getting you 30, 40 yards. He only had eight yards in the win over Carolina. You need him to be doused in targets, dripping in targets. And this offense doesn't work that way. They're still trying to be realistic with their expectations of Mac Jones, let him manage the game. And look, I think Belichick likes this team. Belichick will tell you the games are lost more than they're won. The team that makes the fewest mistakes usually wins. Yeah. Not an overly impressive Patriots team, but it's, it's solid in just about every area right now. I can't tell you, I can't see a reasonable scenario where in the second half, oh yeah, you know, we're doing magazine work or we're doing spring work. We're like, oh, remember when Jacoby Myers was receiver, you know, 13 or receiver 17 in the second half of the year when he scored five <laughs> touchdowns? I just don't think that's in the reasonable range of outcomes here. He's got a very low floor and he's got almost no touchdown equity. Uh, you need to do better than that. I think uh, every receiver we mentioned, even the guys I didn't really like that much at this point, I think would be preferable to Jacoby Myers. I like it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, but of course, we'll keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can follow me at Andy Barons. Of course, follow him. That's Scott at Scott underscore Pianowski for fantasy news and analysis from the entire team. Make sure you're also following at Yahoo Fantasy. Scott will be back tomorrow with the aforementioned Frank Schwab for the betting preview of week 10 in the NFL. And until then, we are out. 